this is going awesome. I mean, I can't say how much it's, uh, my sales has almost tripled every day since last year. Wow. There's a lot that I've decided on and took me a little while to decide on to do and things have really taken off. Uh, started doing barbecue again. That's really going good. Brendan and I discussed a little while and uh, starting last Wednesday, we started opening at nighttime. So now we're open Wednesday through Saturday till eight o'clock at night. Me and Brenda has also been very blessed. She got a new vehicle this week. It's all God, you know. It's just been amazing on how well he's taken care of us and blessed us very, very much. Very, very much so. That's it. That's wonderful. Awesome. <coughs> wonderful. Well, let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll get started. How did the studio yesterday? They did wonderful. They sold it probably. I got it was thirty five hundred and seventy dollars that it made. Wow! So over a hundred and twenty gallons sold. Yeah, it was really awesome. That's awesome. And we, I was home by three o'clock, so it didn't take all day to sell it either. So that was good. So let's pray. We'll thank God for all that. Father, we love you. We come before you today and we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the blessing that you've been in Jimmy and Brenda's life. And thank you for the blessing that you've been in all of our lives, God. We all got a story to tell, God, of how uh, you've just rained down upon us and you've uh, you've blessed us with all these things, God. We just ask that you'd be with us today as you... Uh, as you uh, get to share your word through your people, God, as we uh, as we talk about it here in Sunday school and then go into service, we get to hear your word again. And then even tonight, we're looking forward to just spending that time with you, Father. We pray that you would just change our hearts, that you would use this not just as a time for us to gain some knowledge, but to be changed by your word and that you would uh, that you would work uh, your will in us. And we thank you for that. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 9, <clears throat> moving slowly but surely. Hey, um, i got to watch the time, too. <coughs> all right, so, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is messed up from all the smoke yesterday, <coughs> cooking all that stew. <clears throat> uh, what we're going to see is God. God's going to change a really radical guy. And I, I know that you all know, I mean, you all know the story of Saul of Tarsus and you all know of the story of his conversion. I probably don't even have to read it. You know it so well. <clears throat> but I want you to see that sometimes sometimes we can know the story too well. And you start to miss what the text actually says because of what you've always known that it says. That makes sense? Like, for instance, how many of y'all know that Saul was on a donkey when he got knocked to the ground? Of course you do. But the Bible doesn't say that. Okay, and, and I do too. And I, you always heard, so I was on a donkey, he was on a horse. Doesn't say that. I'm not saying he wasn't. I'm just saying, doesn't say that. It just says he was knocked to the ground. He could have been walking. He could have been riding a horse. He could have been riding in a Ford Mustang. For all I know, it doesn't say. It doesn't say. So what I want you to do is kind of just, uh, instead of just going back over the same old story that y'all have heard a million times, I want you to look at it with some new eyes because there's some things that... Uh, that uh, you may, <clears throat> we may have, we, we, we read over because we've just, you know, known it for so long. How many of y'all know, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of y'all know that uh, it, when he was converted, God changed his name from Saul to Paul? 
Bible doesn't say that either. His name was Paul all along. It was his Greek name. Saul was his Hebrew name. Now, Luke changes in Acts 13. In, in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, he doesn't call him Saul anymore. He calls him Paul. But up until Acts 13, he calls him Saul even after his conversion. So, what I want you to do, and I say that not to say, well, this is, you know, y'all didn't know all that. I'm just saying, let's look at it with some new eyes. Look at it like you've never heard it before. Let's look at the text. Look at the story like we've never seen it before and let God speak to us through his word because he does that. Uh, there are still texts in the Bible that, you know, during my, my reading, you know, I have like a reading plan where I do. It's different every year. But when I do it and I'll come to a text that I've read a billion times and I, my tendency is just kind of skip over it because I already know that one. I already know what happens. I, when, I, when I do that, I, I'm missing out on what God's wanting to speak to me today. I'm not saying it changes. There's, you know, there's only one interpretation, one correct interpretation. But what I'm saying is he'll use it to speak to you in different ways, in different applications in your life. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. So God is going to change this radical enemy of, of, uh, of the Christian church. He's going to change him from an enemy of God to probably one of the most influential believers that ever lived. Uh, you could argue that case. And it's impossible for me to overstate how bad Saul was for the church. I mean, he was probably the church's greatest enemy. Uh, the reality is the high priest and the priests that were, you know, the involved in this, all this persecution, they were, they were zealous about the persecution, but they weren't really, they weren't really going out hunting. You know what I mean? They weren't, they weren't really knocking on doors. It was Saul here who was taking the initiative to say, I'm going to, I'm going to knock this out. I'm going to get it. I'm going to, I'm going to get me some letters and I'm going to go and and just you know find them wherever they're at. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and do it. I'm going to go to Damascus and do it. It was Saul who kind of spearheaded this thing. So if it wasn't for if it wasn't for him, uh, you know he 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 believed that he was doing God's work and God's will. He believed that what he was doing was right. Uh, he it says in verse one it says and Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest. And desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. It says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. This is uh, uh, the 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 literal word is like to inhale. And so what it's talking about here is it's not just saying he was saying some bad stuff. This was his whole life. This was his lifestyle, and this took place over a long period of time. It's easy to read Acts. And start thinking, uh, you know, on Tuesday was Pentecost, and then uh, the next Tuesday, uh, Stephen was killed, and then the Tuesday after that, Philip went to Samaria. But we're talking about a span of years here that the, all this is going on. So Saul was not just a persecutor for a couple of weeks, and then, you know, God changed him. This was for a long time. He was persecuting the church, and for a long time, this was going on. He was active in Jerusalem. He was persecuting them, going door to door, uh, finding Christians. He would look for, there was a, a little fish symbol, ichthus, that was uh, put on the, on the houses and the doors to, to say that this was a place where, you know, believers met. And he would go and kick in the door and bring his, you know, the temple guards in there and arrest them and all that kind of stuff. And now, evidently, things had either settled down in Jerusalem or he thought that he needed to go somewhere else. And so he took the initiative to go to the high priest. Who's the high priest at this time? Anybody know? 
Yeah, same one that same one that condemned Jesus, Caiaphas, at his trial. He went to Caiaphas, the high priest, and said, "Give me some letters that say I have authority to go and find these Christians, and I'm going to go to Damascus. And evidently, there was a Christian population that was growing there. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to start finding them out there and seeking them and, and knocking on doors and and bring them, you know, arrest them, bring them bound to Jerusalem, and put them on trial from uh, in Damascus. And so he was kind of taking the initiative." He was, this was his personal mission, was to stamp out this, this, what he considered to be a new religion. And he was the one standing there, it says that he was standing there giving his approval when Stephen was killed. And from that moment on, it just seems like he goes above and beyond his, his call of duty to, uh, to destroy, to destroy the church and to destroy everything that they stood for. And so he was, uh, this was going on a long time. Um, what he would do, let me, I need to hurry. What he would do was he would take these letters to the synagogues in Damascus. And he would say, do you know this guy? Any Christian people meeting around here? This Because what were the Christians doing? They were coming into the synagogues and they were preaching that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. They were preaching that he was the fulfillment of all of God's prophecies. And so the people at the synagogues would know, well, he's one, well, he's one, well, he's one. And so he would bring these letters from the high priest, giving him authority to go to the synagogues and say, all right, point them out to me. Show me where they are. And he would go and find them and root them out. But, uh, of course, you know the story. On the way to Damascus, he, he, he doesn't get very far, does he? It says, he, uh, anytime you need to stop me, stop me. If we, if we need to hold over and go keep going through this the next week, we'll do that. I'm not going to rush through it where you don't get any the answers that you need. So if you have anything, just ask. There, or comments or whatever, just make them. It'll be fine. Okay? So, anything? All right, I'm not in that big a hurry. Okay, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined, there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Notice it doesn't say anything about a horse or a donkey or anything. I'm not saying that he wasn't. He probably was. I mean, he probably was riding on a donkey or a horse or whatever. He probably was. But I'm just saying I use that to illustrate Let's look at it with some new eyes because it doesn't really say that. You know, it knocked him down. It knocked him down. Uh, the uh, yes, okay. Um, in your outline, you put that Jesus asked him this in Hebrew and not in the tongue that was spoken of that day. Why? I don't know why. I don't really know. What was the significance of that? Oh, the reason I put it in there was just because it, there's three times that. Saul's conversion is told about in Acts. We were told about it in Acts chapter 9. Paul recounts the story again in Acts chapter 22. And then he recounts the story again in Acts chapter 26. And so what we're going to get is a little different spin on it each time. Uh, he's going to say here that they heard they heard the voice. Uh, what does it say? Let me just read it. And it says, uh, And they trembled, astounding Lord. Men, uh, seven says, And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So in the in the Acts chapter 22 account, he says that they, they heard, but they didn't understand what was said. And then there's a... Uh, somebody read Acts 20, 22. I didn't even write it down, Jennifer. 
The reason I put that it was written in Hebrew. 2614. Right. And so it, it says it, I, I put it in there because sometimes people will take the, the, the um, testimony of Paul in these different places and say, see, look, the Bible contradicts itself. When the reality was they did hear a voice, they heard the voice, they heard the word phone is the word in Greek, which means voice and sound. So they heard the sound of the voice, but they didn't understand what the voice was saying. They saw uh, they saw uh, a light, but they didn't see anybody, you know, that who was Paul talking to or Saul talking to. And the reason I put it was in the Hebrew tongue because there was, believe it or not, in the first century, a lot of the Jews didn't actually speak Hebrew anymore. They spoke Aramaic because once they were in Babylon, the captivity, uh, Hebrew and the, the pagan language in Babylon kind of fused and it made this Aramaic language which they spoke after that. So uh, the reason why a lot of commentators say they didn't understand the voice because they didn't speak Hebrew. And that's why Paul actually says it in Acts 26 Jesus spoke to me in, he in the Hebrew tongue saying Saul, Saul, why it persecutes me. That now. also goes to show just how scriptured Saul was. To, to know the Hebrew language. Yes. Oh, yeah. Now Saul was he was he was born in Tarsus, but he says I was raised in Jerusalem. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew he knew the law. He knew the Scripture probably better than he says I was uh, exceedingly more uh, zealous than all of my you know uh, contemporaries in uh, where do you say that. It's going to be Second Corinthians, maybe says that. So he was he, he was he knew the Hebrew language. He knew Greek culture. He was the perfect man uh, for God to grab and say, you're going to be my instrument to go to the Gentiles. And of course, we know that he was he's made him that way. Um, any other questions? Where was I at? You went, you went on through this chapter. No, I didn't read all that no, between there, though. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And so, um, what you need to see, what you need to see here is that God, uh, Christ, came and he, he, uh, he knocked Saul on his rear end. And it's it. Uh, one of the lessons I've always taken from this passage was God's not afraid to to knock your feet out from under you to get your attention if He needs to. Uh, Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Jesus. Now, was where was Jesus? Jesus had died, and Jesus, of course, He was rose again, risen again. But Saul, for all his knowledge, Jesus was dead in the grave somewhere. Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the people who were trying to follow Jesus, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. But Jesus says, who are you persecuting? Mm -hmm. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so what you see is the, the, the unity that Christ has with his people. He said, the ones that accept you, they accept me. The ones that reject you, they reject me. And so when, <clears throat> when Saul is persecuting the church <clears throat> of Christ, when he's persecuting the people, when you and I are persecuted, you know, and of course not to the extent that Saul was persecuting these people, but when, when pe his people suffer, it's Christ himself that is... is um, is enduring the shame of the suffering. Does that make sense? Uh, he said, when you, when you attack them, you're attacking me. 
When you cause them to suffer, you're doing it against me. When all through, the, even in the Old Testament, Saul, when. Uh, when King Saul and, and the people, when, when they chose King Saul and Samuel said, please don't do this, God is our king, whatever. And they said, no, we want a king over us and we want Saul to be our king. Uh, God told Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they're rejecting me. And so Jesus, you see the unity that he has with his people here. Uh, he says, why are you persecuting me? And understand that he saw, I mean, he, this was not some kind of hallucination, vision, some kind of mental thing going on with Saul that nobody else, you know. This was an actual appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in blinding light. And it's important that if you look in Acts 22 and Acts 26 when Paul's recounting the, the, the story of his conversion, he says that this light happened at midday and it was brighter than the sun, you know. And so that's going to be important as we see we're going to strike Paul blind here in a minute and Saul blind in here in a minute. And so so it's characteristic of, of, uh, of times we see God appear in the Old Testament with blinding light and with thunder and with lightning and with all these kind of things. And it just knocked him clean to the ground. It wasn't like, uh, ooh, look, man, that light sure is bright. It's like uh, earthquakingly shattering power knocks him to the ground. And it, it, was, it had to have been terrifying. It had to have been terrifying for him. I mean, you can imagine uh, what it was like. He said, why? Why are you persecuting me? He's united with his people. Um, and, and Paul says, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Now, why do you think he said, who are you? You think he... Now, we know that he didn't... I think that this is just my opinion. I think that he understood that this was a divine appearance. He understood. I mean, this guy's rooted in the Old Testament. He's rooted in, in all these things. He would have known that, you know... Some dude from Damascus is not just going to show up in a blinding light. This is going to be an angel of the Lord. It's going to be Yahweh himself. It's going to be. And so he's lying there on the ground, I think, with his eyes shut, because it's going to say when he opened his eyes here in a minute. And so you can imagine it's just this terrifying. You ever been so scared? All you can do is just shut your eyes and hope it goes away, whatever it is. You know, I can see Paul or Saul laying there, and I'll say Paul and Saul back and forth all, all day probably. I can see him laying there with his eyes shut, and and. and and he says, the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the first thing he says, who are you? Who are you, Lord? He, he, he wanted to know, you know, who, what is this thing that's going on here? And when, when he said, I am Jesus, who are you persecuting? What would you think the first thing is going through Paul's mind? Huh? Yeah. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean... In a flash, and he's going to reflect on this, I'm sure, through the three days that he was blind. I've been wrong this whole time. Jesus is alive. I mean, this guy who all these people say is the Messiah and who's worshiping him, who died on a Roman cross and there was no mistaking that he was dead, no mistaking that he was placed in the grave. He really is alive. Here he is talking to me in a flash of blinding light. He's knocked me to the, you know, the power of his, just the power of his presence has knocked me to the ground and, and rendered me, it's going to render him blind here in a minute, but it's rendered him ultimately uh, helpless. I mean, think about it. The greatest persecution of the church. Christians all over Jerusalem, Damascus uh, were terrified of this man, Saul of Tarsus. We're going to see that after his conversion. They're still scared of him. They're like, well, we don't heard about this guy. We're not letting him in our church. You know, They're still scared of him after that. And so this great persecutor of the faith 
is knocked to the ground by the one who he's persecuting, by the power of the name of the one he is persecuting. And he says, he says, uh, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, the one who the one you're persecuting. How terrifying would it be to 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 know in the instant that everything that I've done up to this point has been against God, has been against God's will, against God's law, everything I thought I was doing that was right, everything that I was zealous for God's name and for my religion and all those things. In that one instant, he understood I've been wrong this whole time. God is revealing himself in Jesus Christ. God, Jesus is God's son, the, the father's son. He is the Messiah. He is the risen Lord. He is, uh, he is the one who is, uh, has been raised from the dead. And so in verse 6, we see him continue to go to Damascus as he's commanded, but he doesn't go as a conquering persecutor. He goes as a defeated enemy, doesn't he? It says in verse 6, it says, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So, five minutes ago, he was Saul, the great persecutor of the church. Conqueror. Everybody's afraid of him. Everybody's scared that he's coming. Everybody knows he's coming to kick in the door and you better stay away from him because he's going to drag you off. And he is the conqueror of the church. He's the one that everybody's afraid of. Five minutes later, he's a defeated enemy going bound and blind to the city waiting on instructions. No longer is he going to Damascus with letters to, he still got the letters I'm sure, but no longer is he going to uh, persecute the Christians and going to bring his letters to the synagogues and, and to, to kick in doors. And take. Now he's going just to wait for instructions. It's almost like, I mean, it's almost like, uh, it's almost demeaning a little bit, don't you think? I mean, uh, I can remember being on on. on uh, job sites and stuff. I didn't really know what to do. And you're like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then after a while, the boss would say, you just go over and stand over until I tell you. And when I, when I come, I'll tell you what to do. And then don't worry about it. You go, you wait for me to get there and then I'll tell you what needs to be done. It was almost like he went from from enemy of God, conquering whatever, you know, everybody's terrified to to you just go stand in the corner and wait for me. And I'll come let you know what you need to do. And so in a flash, Jesus knocked this guy down, changed his whole life. Remember, Paul, Saul, he was not on the road to becoming a Christian. He was not investigating, saying, you know what, I'm going to check this Jesus thing out and see if I, you know, see if I might be interested in something like this. Let me check out the evidence. Let me let me look at. He wasn't interested in none of that. Christ came to him and turned his rear end around 180 degrees with a flash of light, with a with a, you know, voice like thunder and knocked him to the ground and it changed his whole pers perspective and perception of who God was, who Christ was, just like that. He still does that today. Do you know, and I know you do, a lot of y'all, when I sent that outline out that said the, the title, I, I did it on purpose, the title was God Even Saves His Enemies. And some of y'all text me back and says, wait a minute, I thought we were all God's enemies. And that's that's true. That's the point. That's what I was trying to convey was the reality is that you and I weren't any different than Saul of Tarsus. I mean, you probably had never killed anybody. You know, I hope you hadn't anyway. But don't start now if you hadn't. <laughs> but you probably, you probably hadn't done anything against 
God's people like Saul of Tarsus does. But the Bible says that your heart was... It was, it was enmity against God. The mind that's selling the flesh is enmity against God. It cannot please God. I talked to the youth Wednesday night about this. Uh, you might have loved a God that you made up in your mind. You know, my God is forgiving and he don't mind if, you know, I watch pornography and, and you know, go and do whatever it is that you like to do or whatever, you know, my, that my God will forgive me and he's a, well, that, I mean, that's a God that you made up in your mind and you love that God, but you hated the God of Scripture, which is the only true God, the only real God, the only God that you'll stand before. I could say, you know, I could say, hey, this Kleenex box right here is my God and I love my God and he loves me and he answers my prayers and it looks kind of foolish when I do that and say this Kleenex box is my God, but people do it all the time. You know, my God doesn't mind if I go and live in sin and doing whatever. Uh, the reality is, the Kleenex box is not going to help me when I stand before the judgment and the God that I make up in my own mind and say, you know, he don't really mind all that kind of stuff. That God's not going to help you in the judgment either because he's not real. The only God that, that we have to uh, contend with is the God of Scripture and that's the God that's presented here. And so you and I, the Bible says we were enemies of God just like Saul of Tarsus here. We were his enemies and he came and converted. If you've been converted, he's converted you just like he did Saul of Tarsus. He took that heart, says he took out your stony heart and he put in a heart of flesh, a heart that desires him and loves him and is not perfect and doesn't live perfectly. I'm not saying you never sin or anything like that, but it's a heart that seeks after him. And from this day forward, you're going to see that. And of course, you don't need me to tell you, you're going to see that in Paul. He's going to desire God. God and seek after God, the first thing, we'll see it next week, but the first thing that he does after he is converted and forgiven is he wants to get in fellowship with the Christians that are in Damascus. He wants the people he came to kill, he wants to be in fellowship with. And so, you know, that's why it's hard for me for the folks to say, my heart's been converted, but I don't want fellowship with no, you know, believers or whatever. I mean, this guy who was kicking in doors and killing people, the first response of his heart was, I want a fellowship with y'all. Now, of course, they were terrified of him. They were like, you know, yeah, we're not letting you in. We know you. he's just playing a trick trying to get us to open the door. But he was serious. And so God changed his heart on that day. Now, here's, oh, here's another question. When was Saul actually converted? Was he converted on the road? Or was he converted three days later when Ananias came and prayed over him, told him the gospel? The Bible doesn't actually say for sure. I personally believe, and I think I can back it up pretty well, that he was converted when Ananias came to him, not on the road. Because remember, when he was, when he was hit, he was struck blind for three days. Okay, so that's not really a picture of a person that's saved walking in victory when he's blind, scared, fasting, you know, and worried for three days. But when Ananias comes, speaks to him, the first words that he says... Brother Saul, God has sent me to you. Let me, let me read it. Some of y'all might not know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> okay, and so he came trembling, and the men which journeyed with him stood speechless. Verse 7, hearing a voice, but seeing no man, Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, that's why I think he, he, was, he was laying there with his eyes shut. It says, when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He's blind. Opened his eyes, and there was nothing there. It's just black. If there was a donkey involved, why didn't they put him on the donkey and leave the donkey? 
That's a good question. I don't know. But that's one of those things. You know, you always hear, knocked off his donkey, knocked off his horse. I've said it before, so I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. I, he, you know, he might, he very well could have been on a donkey. I'm just saying, I use that as an example. A lot of times I ask people, how many of y'all have ever read that verse where it says, the lion will lie down with the lamb, and everybody will raise their hand, and I'll say, well, that's strange because it's not in the Bible. It says, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, you know? And so we have these we have the, we've always heard these things, and so we read over these texts, and we just read them kind of with kind of with blinders on. I do it, you do it, we all do it, and so that's the only reason I brought that up was not that it's important that we understand whether he was on a donkey or not. It really doesn't matter. But the only reason I brought that up was so we can kind of look at it with new eyes, like I've never seen this story before, and I want to. There was a lady that was converted a while back, and she came and she brought her Bible. You probably heard Brother Eddie tell the story. About she was reading the story about the woman with the issue of blood and she was just enthralled with this story and of course she was telling it like she'd heard it for the first time because she had have you ever read this story look at this you know and all these people were around church people were like yeah we done read that we done, you know? and they were missing the, the awe and amazement of the story that she'd never heard before and so that's, that's all I was using for the donkey if he was on a donkey or whether he wasn't on a donkey who cares you know it doesn't really matter and if you hear sometime if I'm preaching, I might say knocked off his donkey. You just smile to yourself knowing that I know. I know. He might not, we don't know he's on a donkey or not. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. Any questions or comments or cries of outrage? Was he not by himself on this? <clears throat> no, no. He had men with him. Yeah. And we're not exactly told who they were, but they were no doubt the folks that were coming to help him arrest everybody. You know what I mean? They were they were part of uh, probably the temple. The temple had its own police, uh, had its own guards, you know, had its own. So they were probably part of that guard, part of that, you know, uh, part of that that cadre that was going to come help him help him arrest all these Christians. Huh? Like his deputies. His deputies. Yes, yeah, right. Sheriff and his deputies. Okay, so they these guys, they they heard the sound. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just reading in the, oh, the notes in mine is saying that they they were kind of like witnesses, so this wasn't kind of like a just a traumatic event where he was seizing on the ground and. Exactly. Yeah, that was they were there. It says that they saw the deal, but they didn't see no man. They heard, but they didn't understand. Uh, and that shows us that this was a real event. You know, this was not just some kind of vision he had in his mind. This was not something that didn't really happen. He just had a hallucination. Maybe he did a little too much acid when he was in college. You know, it wasn't one of them things. He was he was, you know, it's actually happened when he when he we what we all done. It, this actually happened. Does that make sense? What I say? No. Okay. Anyway, and there, there was a disciple. Uh, Y'all know me. Hi, it's nice to meet you. Jason's my name. Nice to meet you. Uh, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, who, for behold, he prayeth. At this time God came to Ananias in a vision, in a dream, just spoke to him, whatever. And he said, I want you to go see Saul of Tarsus. He's praying. He's praying right now. Remember that. 
And it says, and verse 12 says, and hath, he's talking about Saul here. Saul has seen a vision, in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done by the saints of Jerusalem. The guy was famous. He was famous as an enemy of Christ. And he and here he hath authority from the chief priests, chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. He knew why he was in Damascus. But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear witness, to bear my name for the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, I want to point out two things. Number one was, number one was, is that God uses his people to speak to his people. Does that make sense? Now I want you to think about this. We're going to see this again in chapter 10. God spoke to Paul in a vision while he was fasting, whatever, and he showed him a vision. He's seen a vision that a man named Ananias is going to come and lay hands on you and receive your sight. God showed that to Saul. That's what it said. And God also came to Ananias and said, I want you to go and lay your hands on this guy named Saul, and he's a chosen instrument for me. He's going to bear my name. Uh, and so God came to both men. I've always thought, we're going to see this in the same thing in chapter 10 where God comes to Cornelius and tells him, and then God comes to Peter and tells him and gets them both together. If God's talking to Cornelius, if God's talking to Saul, why don't he just tell him what he wants to tell him and be done with it? Why bring Ananias in? Why speak to Saul and say, hey, Saul, there's a guy named Ananias is going to come who we know nothing about. I mean, we don't know anything. All we know his name was Ananias. All we know he was a Christian in Damascus. Never hear his name again. He's a nobody. I mean, as far as biblical, if I said the name Ananias, all y'all start thinking about the guy who dropped dead in chapter 5. You know, uh, so we're not thinking about this guy. We don't really even know who he is. But God came and said, I want you to go. I want you to go lay your hands on Saul. I want you to tell him about the gospel. This is what we're going we're gonna to see that in a minute. I want you to pray for him. I want him to receive his sight. I want you to be the instrument that I use to convert this man, to bring him out of his blindness to change him into the instrument that I'm going to use to preach my gospel to kings and Gentiles all over the world and of course we know to write uh, a majority of the books in the New Testament. Uh, and so I want you to see that you really don't know. You really don't know what kind of an impact that your witness, your testimony, your ministry to somebody is going to have. Because Ananias, we don't know anything about him at all. He was, uh, by, by biblical standards of who's who in the Bible, Ananias, this Ananias is a nobody. But God used him as an instrument to speak and to minister to one of the most influential men that Christianity had ever will ever see in, in the entire span of its existence. Paul became, of course you know this, he became the missionary of missionaries, starting who knows how many churches, going on these different trips, ministering to this, miracles that, preaching the gospel, writing scripture, doing a... I mean, he was used by God. Probably Jesus would be the only person, you know, the only... 
uh, he, he is the only man that's not God that was used of God in this way. You know, Christ is the only bigger star in the New Testament than Paul. But it was through this guy that nobody's ever heard of, Ananias, that God used to to minister to him, to bring in the gospel, to call him Brother Saul in the midst of... I mean, think about this. You're blind, you're praying, and you're fasting for three days. What do you think going through Saul's mind for those three days? Just, I don't have no definite answer. I'm just asking you the question. Tell me what you think. He's thinking about the things he's done. I mean, he knows at the moment, at the moment Christ appeared before him, he knew. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made a, you know, a flip. So I'm sure he's, my assumption is that the Lord put him through the blindness to sit there and ponder on everything and really make it sink in. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. What was going through his mind, you think? I have messed up in the past. Yeah. I have messed up? Yeah, that's probably an understatement of the century. I would be scared of what's coming. Exactly. God's wrath on him. Yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, this guy's a Jewish guy. No doubt. This guy's a Jewish. Judaism is the way, the religion. I mean, how can you come back from this? I mean, you have spent your whole life defying God. He was probably thinking, it's over. I'm dead. Huh? Yeah, helpless, helpless. Mm-hmm. You ever had those moments where when you lay, I have a real problem going to sleep at night. You know, it, once I'm asleep, I'm good. But I'll lay in the bed for three hours. I mean, like three hours just staring at the ceiling. I mean, no TV, no light, no. I get mad at Dana because she likes to play on her iPad, and I can't even have that light. You know, I don't want. I want it. I want it pitch black. I want no sound. I don't want to hear the vent on the air conditioner rattling. I want nothing. And even then, it'll take me three hours to go to sleep. I just lay there and stare at the ceiling. You know, but huh? Don't hey, you ain't Doctor Michael. Leave me alone. 